That's a dreadful ball and Chelsea could be in here with Goff who goes for goal and scores! Finds the back of the net! Henri! What a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri! Miller, lovely cushion header for The Ghost Goal Podcast. The EPL season concluded, and we had a final Sunday to remember. Champions Liverpool defeated Newcastle 3-1. Manchester City defeated relegated Norwich 5-0. Manchester United got a vital 2-0 victory over Leicester, which saw the Red Devils finish in third, and the Foxes finish in fifth. Chelsea got a vital 2-0 win over Wolves. It secures Frank Lampard in the Blues a Champions League spot again. Wolves finish in seventh place, not necessarily out of European spot for next year. Tottenham drew Crystal Palace, which was enough to get them into your Europa League spot in sixth place. Down at the bottom table we go. Arsenal relegated Watford with a 3-2 victory. Bournemouth fought the good fight. Got a win over Everton 3-1. But Aston Villa's one point in their draw with West Ham 1-1 was enough to get them to safety as Jack Grealish led the Villains to another Premier League season. I'm Andrew Psar. You're listening to the Gold School Podcast. Alex, how you doing, buddy? Couldn't be better. Back in the Champions yeah. League again. It's, uh, it was up in the air for a few years there, but we seem to have created some sort of consistency and made it two years in a row again so i'm happy i mean for a a first year manager in frank who wasn't allowed a full transfer budget that's a success it has to be that is a 100 percent successful season uh so hands up you know hats off to the blues no Javier to talk about Arsenal finishing as a uh, mid-table club and a uh, <laughs> not even finishing in Europa League spot this year. We'll, we'll get him back we'll, on for uh, a, a FA Cup final preview. Uh, the yes. the last big game in England for a little while. Though I think there's going to be Champions League picking up maybe a week after and Europa League as well. So football's not all gone now. Not all. Yeah. And uh, it's like something like 47 days until the Premier League returns? Yeah. Six weeks. Sep- yeah, September 12th. So essentially everyone's going right into preseason right I'll now. I'll allow it. <laughs> I'm not mad about it. Uh, transfer windows, I don't know if it's officially open yet or what the deal is with that, but we'll figure it out. There's plenty of rumors to go around. Uh, we'll probably talk about a couple departures before we conclude the pod, but let's get right into the big news, which is uh, your top four finishes Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, your bottom three relegated teams. Obviously we had Bournemouth, Watford, and Norwich, Aston Villa, obviously securing safety. Um, Sheffield United, who was promoted, who did way better than any of us expected, which you know credit to them. Um, but let's uh, let's get right into the big game. The big one of the, the weekend was Leicester City's losing to Manchester United two 0 Bruno Fernandez from the spot in the seventy first. Lingard at the death. Um, by the way, friend of the mic, uh, friend of the mic, friend of the pod, Mike sent me a text that somebody had a bet on Lingard to not get an assist that, or get yeah, a, a goal not score at any point. At any season. point in the season, he scored in the ninety eighth minute of the final game of the season when Casper Schmeichel gifted it to him. So. Casper uh, Schmeichel better keep an eye out. You know, so have someone watch his back because that guy is uh, not going to be happy with him. Definitely not. Here's the thing: I, I don't know if I feel bad for Lester or if this is just another Brendan Rodgers bottle job because they were in a Champions League spot for like more than three quarters of the season this year, 
they played great football at times. There was a point in the season where we're like, can, are they going to be the ones that can keep up with Liverpool? Like, they were in second place for, for several weeks. This is what we talked about, where we stressed the importance that the big teams, I guess, the traditional big teams with bigger squads overall, they were going to excel during this period. And, you know, United were one of those teams that I think it's it's not really even arguable that they took advantage most of the uh, COVID-19 break. Maybe Aston Villa, you could make a case for them, but United, to me, are the team that took advantage of it because they were going to be missing Rashford for the rest of the season, Pogba for the rest of the season. I think Martial was injured even at the time or was about to return. Um, but they get all those players back fresh and you saw their attack just start humming as soon as they got back uh, back playing again. And those were players that weren't going to be there for them. And on the contrary, for Vill- uh, not for Villa, for Leicester, uh, they weren't exactly like in great form uh, in the second half of the season, but they didn't have the injuries they ended up having for these last uh, nine or ten games. You know, both wingbacks missing who were their two of the best wingbacks in the league. Uh, Seongshu ends up screwing up big time in that Bournemouth game uh, to leave himself suspended for the last couple games against Tottenham and United. So uh, that certainly doesn't help. And you saw the the, the reaction to that of all those players missing, Madison as well, was that they started a a back three again with, I think it was James Justin, uh, Johnny Evans, and uh, Wes Morgan. It might have been Bennett at, uh, at right center back. It, it's an awful back three, and we knew United were going to end up winning this one, and it probably took them a little bit longer than I personally would have liked because I had one eye on that game because all United needed to do was win that game, and Chelsea were in. It didn't matter what our result was. So, yeah, they ended up getting the getting the result, but it wasn't like a super convincing victory. It was just like a fairly cagey game that neither team wanted to really, uh, you know, throw everything into it too early. And by the time... Leicester started to try and uh, get back into it and get a draw or like try and turn over and get a win. You know, United were obviously just there to pounce and get their usual penalty and, and get that uh, take advantage of that mistake from Schmeichel right at the end. Yeah, 14 penalties for Manchester United this season. To be fair, I will not criticize them for that one. Uh, I just, my criticism of them has not been that they necessarily are diving for penalties all the time because a lot of them... You know they have they have been penalties. There's been some dives in there, but a lot of them have been penalties. My my thing with them is I don't like how it's so obvious that they're looking for penalties. Like that that seems to be something that they've recognized and thought to themselves. Well, it may not be the best like football to watch, but with VAR here and some terrible refereeing in this division, we're Manchester United. If we go down, the refs will give it. And a lot of times they do. So I don't like I don't I don't like the, them looking for penalties all the time. Yeah, I, I'll say from what I watched of this game because I had this on. I had and I, I didn't have your game on. I had the Aston Villa game on my phone, and I had this on the TV screen. So you weren't, you weren't uh, missing anything in our game, apart yeah, well, from like five minutes. Were, <laughs> okay, you guys were up at like halftime, and I was like, okay, I don't need to like change this over at this point. Like this is clearly going to happen. But Leicester definitely had their chances. Like, they weren't, you know, cast away and done with. Like, they definitely had more than a few chances. But, you know, David De Gea didn't screw up for United this week. And I still think this United team is three, four players away from really being a team that can close the gap. Like, as well as they played and as many points as they made up, like, they, like, 
they didn't play a ton of like high profile sides down the stretch. Like as you said, they benefited from from the from getting healthy and Bruno Fernandez clicked and I'm very interested to see what this team does in Europa League now because if they can continue this over and win your win the Europa League okay then maybe I'm going to be a little bit more scared of them for next year and I definitely am afraid of what Mason Greenwood can be but if unless they get a couple more pieces in midfield two to two to three defenders like this isn't a team that I think is genuinely ready to challenge Manchester City or Liverpool for a title. Like, I still think they're at least 10 to 15 points behind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I think just because they have been the best team on form during these last 10 games of the season, and now they've finished in third place, albeit on goal difference, people have probably started looking to them more so than Chelsea as like the de facto next team that could... Uh, like close the gap on Manchester City and uh, Liverpool, but I think it's fairly fairly even with them and Chelsea. I think we have the deeper squad, but we just don't have, uh, or at least this season, we didn't have the as consistent attacking threats that they ended up finding. But with all the signings Chelsea are making, I, I expect that to be fixed pretty soon. How did you How did you feel about the Blues who get a huge win over Wolves? Probably not one of the most like interesting games I've ever watched, but that five minute period at the end of the first half where Marcus Alonso pulled Asadi Omane and dove to get us the free kick just outside the box, which I didn't get a chance to talk to you about. But uh yeah, it was it was like some nice karma coming back around for us. And as soon as like Mason Mount looked like he was about to uh to take it, I was thinking, all right, he hasn't scored one yet this season. He's hit the bar numerous times. He's been close numerous times on so many free kicks and uh, he, he didn't really get to take them as often as he did at Derby when he would take them all the time and scored a couple. But he put that one away beautifully, and it was it was a thing of beauty. And then Giroud follows it up like a couple minutes after while Wolves are still trying to get their shit together and puts the game to bed. And Wolves, it was kind of shocking to see how they just laid down and didn't put up a fight. I think they had one shot on target and another one that was like a cross that ended up going towards goal and Caballero had to palm away. But they didn't create like a good attacking chance throughout the entire game. And I thought we were worthy winners because of it. We even had some chances uh, in the second half to make it uh, three or four now. But in the end, all that matters is we got Champions League, uh, win, lose or draw. That's all that matters. And uh, we shut all the haters up. I, I Even myself, I didn't think we really had that much of a chance at top four this season going into the season. I'm pretty sure I said if we finish in the Europa League places, I'll be happy. Um, and if I, I'm pretty sure my my uh, expectations of the season were like, let's just get through this season with Frank still in charge and the project still intact. And it's even better than that. It's uh, it's going very well on the field and off the field, as as people have seen with the recent transfers. So yeah, and a lot and a lot of reports out there now that says that Kai Havertz is days away from potentially signing with Chelsea. Yep. Another addition to Hakim Ziyech, who's already been signed and secured from Ajax, who's already been training with the club, and obviously Timo Werner, who joins from Red Bull Leipzig, who is now was at the the bridge for the final match. So you know a new a new attack coming in. There's still questions about whether or not William returns. Pulisic finishing the the season excellently was 
was a huge force down down the you know the final stretch for Chelsea. Obviously, Mason Mount making a huge contribution in his first full season with Chelsea. That like there's definitely you know some bright spot. You fix, fix up a little bit of the midfield. You fix up a little bit of the defense, and this team isn't really that much that far away from being a team that truly could contend. Cool stat about Mason Mount. Uh, he's the first player in Chelsea's history to make 50 appearances in all competitions in his debut season as an academy product. And he's only the fifth player in Premier League history to ever do that. So, I mean, obviously he's kind of like perfectly positioned to do that because he's not straight out of the academy. He's been on loan at, in Holland and then in the championship for two seasons. But in his debut uh, season for his club, he st- started or appeared in 50 games and ended up with 10 goals and I think just a few uh, less assists. So an absolutely amazing season for him. I'm very proud that he made it through without really any major injuries. And a couple of the other Academy players weren't so lucky, but they made, uh, they made impacts when they could. But Mason was just like the one constant throughout and the player that exemplified Frank's uh, overall uh, philosophy. And he was man of the match in that game. And I think he was man of the match last weekend against United as well, where he did the exact same thing. So he's 21 years old and I think he deserves to be talked about in the same conversations as Pulisic, to be honest. And uh, I know Pulisic has a few more years of experience on under his belt and uh, looks a tad bit more talented, but Mason Mount is, you know, he's just as, if not more important to the team. Let's uh, let's address the elephant in the room. Let's talk about Willie Caballero starting at goalkeeper and not Kepa. Hey man, I, surprised I, with that? I called that after we won the United game with Caballero. I was saying to, I think it was Javier I was on uh, the, the pod with after that, and I think you as well, where I was just like, I wouldn't be surprised if Kepa didn't get in the team for the rest of the season. He ended up playing that Liverpool game. I didn't think he was the reason that we conceded most of those goals, but I've, I've spoken to a lot of people and they've kind of gotten me to the point where I I kind of agree that it would be nice to have a goalkeeper that maybe saves the Keita goal, the first one, or the Oxlade-Chamberlain goal, the fifth one, because that one was put straight at him. It had a lot of pace on it, but he did get a hand to it. So it's just one of those things where yes he does have bad moments so you can point to those if you want but a lot more of the things that piss people off about Kepa are the fact that when you're paying someone that much and you you paid so much in a transfer fee for a goalkeeper you expect outstanding not just good so and to that I don't really have any rebuttal I've been one of the ones who thinks you should be patient with him and for financial reasons we may be forced to but the end of the day for getting the results to keep us in champions league and to uh hopefully win a trophy next week i would not uh i would not be mad at frank if he kept with caballero because he's looked like a much safer pair of hands when he's played would you go sign a new goalkeeper in the offseason not for like the 180 million that's supposedly being uh thrown around for jan oblak's uh a release clause release clause i think we i think we learned that lesson with keppa i mean oblak is undeniably a better goalkeeper than keppa but you probably shouldn't be spending that amount of money on a goalkeeper in any scenario you should be trying to you should be trying to like do things on a budget to a degree but break the bank if need be for the player you're 110 percent uh sure is going to be the sure thing so i i would probably favor someone like onana if uh, andre onana from ix if you can uh get him for i don't know 30 40 million 
which is still a big fee for a goalkeeper, but he's got lots more Champions League experience. He's been starting for Ajax uh, since he was 18. I think he's 25 or 26 now. So he's uh, he's he's probably like a keeper in and around the level, probably maybe even a little bit better than Bernd Leno at Arsenal right now. So uh, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't fault Chelsea for going out and doing that, but a much bigger problem is how do you get Kepa off the books? Because just like with De Gea at United, there's not a market for keepers being paid top dollar who aren't performing at top dollar level. So it'll be tough. I mean, hey, Liverpool are having an issue trying to get Loris Karius off the books. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's jump to West Ham, Aston Villa. This game was, was nervy uh, until the 84th minute when Jack Grealish gets, gets the goal, saves Villa. This was a pretty back-and-forth, up-the-field game, but I will say, from what I watched, I wasn't really nervous about Aston Villa really conceding, but it would have killed them. Um, but it was nervy, well, though, because it was nil-nil yeah. until, what, the 85th minute? And mm-hmm. meanwhile, that yeah. Watford game was going in their favor, but... The Bournemouth game was not, and if West Ham had just yep. nicked a point or nicked a winner off some random bullshit, and they end up losing as well, Bournemouth could have just as easily finished uh, with a with a crazy escape because they needed both West uh, both Aston Villa and Watford to lose. So um, I know we'll get to that game in a second, but yeah, Villa did really well not just in this game against West Ham, but over the last two weeks. That's I, I think two weeks ago they were seven points adrift. And they've closed that gap aggressively, especially with that win over Arsenal, where they didn't look like they were winning really any game. Uh, they were so close against Everton, ended up drawing that. Um, and they were obviously very close here against West Ham and it ended up drawing. So for them to actually get a clean sheet and get a win against uh, the Arsenal team that had been playing pretty well, that that's the game that I'm sure West Ham fans, or sorry, Aston Villa fans will look back on uh, this season and say, that's how we escaped. How vital do you think it is for next season for them to retain Jack Grealish? Because obviously he's been. I expect them like, to now. So vital. I, I really do. Yeah. Because uh, c- they spent a good amount of money for this squad in the first place, and you'd assume like a good number, or maybe uh, who was it? Wesley, the uh, the striker they signed from Bruges, who was missing the whole second half of the season with a torn ACL. You'd expect for him to come back, hopefully, and they, they get either get something out of him or go out and try and spend money on another striker because goals is something they're severely lacking in in this squad. Um, and they were relying on a lot of their defensive players on set pieces. And then other than that, Jack Grealish and John McGinn. Yeah. So like, yeah. so other than those like two players in the defensive back line, whoever it is starting, there's it was really lacking in offensive output. So maybe they go out and get... go even one further and get some help for Grealish and get a winger so he can focus on staying central and trying to dip into those pockets between the defense and and midfield in central areas rather than having to drift out wide all the time. But um, that and a striker would probably convince him to stay, you'd think. Because I don't know if if the clubs that he would want to go to would be willing to spend the kind of money uh, on him that uh, has been quoted because he he's kind of stuck in like a Wilfred Zaha position here. He's too important to his club to really let go. Uh, well, he's the he's the first one of two players I want to ask you about this game with with futures. Him and Declan Rice. If the if the right offer comes around for Declan Rice, does West Ham have to cash in? 
or or should he be forcing his way out of that team because he could be playing at a, at a top like I have qu- like I know Grealish was really good this year but I have questions like where he would go because I don't even know where he necessarily like he'd sure he'd play at Arsenal but I don't know if he's like a week in week out starter I don't know where if he he's a week in week out starter at Spurs I don't he's not going to switch Midlands teams and go to Wolves so it's like I don't know where Grealish goes but in terms of Declan Rice there's definitely a market for him somewhere yeah, uh, Declan Rice is definitely a market for. I know because Chelsea have been interested. I, I'm personally not as high on him as some others are. Uh, also because I, I'm very high on Ethan Ampadu at Chelsea, who basically plays the same role uh, slash position as Declan Rice. But I think he's got a really bright future as either a center back in a back three or a defensive midfielder in a uh, midfield three in front of a back four. So Chelsea aren't the only club interested in Declan Rice, and that's mainly because he was a part of Chelsea's academy, I think, until he was 14 or 15, and we let him go. And he was picked up by West Ham and eventually grew into the player that you see now. But, you know, Manchester United have been interested. I've seen uh, Manchester City have been going around splashing cash on players like Nathan Ake to bolster their defense. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them sign him as well. Um, He'd also be English, which they they could always use a few more Englishmen in that squad. Ake actually counts as that, since he came out of oh, really? came out of Chelsea's academy and came over here from Holland when he was a kid. Um, he counts as homegrown, I mean, not English per se, but homegrown. But yeah, it's uh, he, he he definitely has a bright future ahead of him. I, he's another one I'm not really sure of if he's going to be willing to push for a move because, like Grealish, like th- those two players are. You get the sense they're very proud of those clubs and uh, the chance that they were offered by those clubs and like the belief that those clubs showed in them at a young age. Grealish especially, he's been a West Ham or Aston Villa fan. I've been screwing up West Ham and Aston Villa all day today because their colors are the same. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's been an Aston Villa fan his whole life since he was eight. He's you know just like Mason Mount uh, at Chelsea since he was eight. So... Uh, it's going to be hard to pry someone like Grealish away from Aston Villa unless you are a really, really top club. Like if Everton come in and try to get him to replace Sigurdsson, I don't think you see him budge. I think he's staying white, staying right where he is. Well, I mean, is Everton even an upgrade at this point? I mean, sure that they may spend more money, but the, the, they're only five places above Aston Villa in twelfth. Yeah, only a mere, only a mere five places. Uh, other games from the bottom of the table. Arsenal getting a 3-2 victory over Watford. Aubameyang with a penalty. Uh, Tierney with a goal in the 24th. A really nice Aubameyang goal in the 33rd. That was a, a, like a bicycle overhead type kick. Uh, a Troy Deeney penalty in the 43rd. And Welbeck scoring in the 66th against uh, his former club. And there it is. Watford go down. I'd love to see you know Liverpool go pick this carcass and go after Emiliano Saar. I know he didn't necessarily have the best it's, debut. Ismaila Saar. Is my Lassar. but I'd I'd still love for Liverpool to go get him. Uh, I think he would offer a lot, and he's like really close friends with Sadio Mane, so uh, it's somebody who could be another asset to our front line. But another player uh, that you could have missing for uh, African Cup of Nations. And that is that is another issue there. But African Cup of Nations get pushed back a whole other whole another year, so Liverpool don't have to worry about it at the current time being. That's future Liverpool's problem at this point. So that's the way I look at it there. But yeah. Well, okay. So you weren't here for the Nigel Pearson was sacked talk, were you? I, I think you were, but we yeah. talked only about the Chelsea Liverpool game. They sacked Nigel yes. Pearson with two games left in the season after just losing horrifically to West Ham. 
and make or bring their U23 manager up for the final two games at home against Manchester City and away at Arsenal. Now I get it. The man, Im- the City game. I know it's the earlier game, and you'd rather wrap up the uh, the safety as soon as possible. But even if you consider that one, like they, I think they lost four or five nil. It was they held out for a while, but it was inevitable. If you focus purely on this Arsenal game and, and keep Pearson around. I think he could have gotten a win in this Arsenal game and Watford the team that are safe and not Villa. Because all Watford needed to do was to better Villa's result, I think. Because, you know, Villa ended up drawing. If Watford had gotten the 3-3, they would have gone down anyway. Uh, because I think Villa had better goal difference. But if they'd won the game and not gone down by three goals in the first place, then they would have been safe. And as, as good as Arsenal have been in spurts during the uh, restart... They're still right there for the taking. And uh, yeah, Watford didn't show up. I'm, I'm actually, I'm happy to see them go down. They deserve it. Let it be known that Chelsea are the only team in the Premier League that can fire two or three managers in a season and get away with it. Sooner or later, it's going to catch up to any of you, even you, Watford. The, the way their owners handled this season was an absolute joke. Like, I, I don't understand. I, I completely agree with you. Firing Nigel Pearson, and I still haven't, like, read what it really was about. Especially he punched a player? Someone said, like, I, I just got sent uh, articles about how he punched a player after the West Ham game, which honestly I, would not surprise me at all because he is exactly the manager that would do that. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. And I do understand why you'd need to let him go. But still, the way they played around with this season when they fired their manager pretty early on and then brought in a former manager who did like even worse and then you bring in Pearson and they were actually like out of relegation just I, again I, I here's the thing like sure this is the bitter Liverpool fan in me like they were the first team to beat us this year so I'm happy to see them go down but I don't really like even in the years where they were you know finishing safety like I don't really remember them being like, oh, I really want Watford to be here. So, see ya. Yeah, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll move us on to the Bournemouth-Everton game. They're another team oh, wait. that, you know, have... They, for me personally, I'm happy to see Bournemouth go down. But on a more general, unbiased level, it, it is a bit more sad to see Bournemouth go down than it is for Watford. Because Bournemouth, you get the general sense that Eddie Howe had them playing the quote-unquote right way uh, for Mm -hmm. most of his time uh, in the Premier League, the four or five years they were up in the top flight. But then the goals dried up this season when they couldn't figure out how to keep uh, Ryan Frazier happy. And they spent a bunch of money signing uh, other players and getting in good players on loan and suffered some really bad injuries as well. But in the end if you look at the goal scoring and assist numbers for the Frazier uh, Callum Wilson Josh King trio last season compared to this season it's horrific man I think combined they had something like 60 goals and assists all together last season uh, if you count all of their goal and assist numbers up and then this season Frazier I think had two goals and five assists all season uh, Wilson was injured for a big chunk and barely got to eight or nine goals and King played a good amount more, but if he's your best attacking player, you're going to get relegated. And yeah, yeah, you, you do, you do have to feel for Bournemouth just a little bit. And I know this has been all over Twitter. I don't know if you've seen it, that goal, that, that non goal call for Sheffield United in the Aston Villa game, which would have given Sheffield United a victory. Aston Villa wouldn't have drawn. Yeah. I've seen that going around like the last, like basically today on Monday, 
but so much has happened since then that you don't know how it would have elicited a response uh, afterwards from Aston Villa if they had lost that game, whether it would have changed any of the results of the uh, games to, to come up after that, which there were plenty of. And I mean, again, I'll go back to that, that Arsenal win they got. If uh, the main, the main thing, the main narrative about Watford uh, being relegated when we recorded, uh, what was it? The preview pod for the Chelsea Liverpool game when me and uh, Javier recorded it and we were talking about Pearson being fired originally right after it happened. We were saying like, oh, they'll probably be, probably be fine. Like Villa still have to play Arsenal. So that, that'll be tough. Like, But then they end up winning that Arsenal game. And all of a sudden the whole script is flipped and the whole story of what uh, Villa need to happen and what Watford need to happen on the last day changes completely. So Watford go from looking like, okay, they're cutthroat and they know what they're doing. They usually end up okay. This should be fine to they're relegated. And I mean... They have a great team, so I have no I have no doubt that they'll dominate the championship next season if they can keep even half their squad, and they'll probably be back very very soon, just like West Brom, and uh, just like a couple other teams we're seeing that could come up this year. Yeah, uh, the championship finals uh, going on as we speak. Well, not right now, but Swansea win the first game against Brentford, who finished the season on a tear, and I didn't see the result from today. Uh, but Leeds wins the division, comes back up for the first time in a long time, and West Brom returns under Slavin Bilic, the former uh, West Ham manager. So keep an eye out for that one. A couple just quick results. Crystal Palace gets a draw with Tottenham. Tottenham's into sixth place. Manchester City blows away Norwich. Liverpool win 3-1 over Norwich. Southampton win 3-1 over Sheffield. Liverpool won 3-1 over Burnley. Newcastle. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Three, yes, Liverpool win over Newcastle. Uh, Burnley lose to Brighton. Um, and some Brighton news, uh, Adam Lallana signed with uh, with Brighton on a free. That, that makes sense. I felt like that's, like a, that's a good veteran signing for them. Uh, Graham Potter needs more attacking players to try and you know shift the identity there to his uh, system and away from that defensive low block they've been playing for so many years and yeah Lalan has got the right amount of experience to play in spot minutes here and there I just hope he can stay healthy like that's really yeah, the only thing for that him. would be good to see uh, uh, the other Liverpool transfer news of the day was uh, Dan Lovren signing for Zenit St. Petersburg and I can go join, uh, join uh, Branislav Ivanovic, yes, who just won their Player of the Year, uh, which which means that the only player remaining from the Liverpool Suarez money is Divakarigi, which, like, of all the players that they bought that that summer after selling Luis Suarez to Barcelona, it's Origi remains, and I don't even know if he'll be around that much longer. To be totally honest, like, if I was him, I'd want to leave somewhere to go play full time football. Um, Why not? We can we'll see about we can come in for meaningless games like this and just. Have a have a goal like he scored against Newcastle. I, I'll say that I one's forgot really he could nice do that. The Sadio, <laughs> yeah, the Sadio Mane goal to to make it three one was really nice. Yeah, we're, we're uh, used to that with him though. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't watch that game live. I didn't actually watch it until this afternoon. I was like, I'll just watch it on replay. And he's like, it doesn't matter at this point. I was a little disappointed not to see Harvey Elliott, but it is what it is. Um, and other Liverpool news is Jordan Henderson did win Football Writers Association Player of the Year, which I thought he shouldn't have won. I thought it should have gone to Kevin De Bruyne. But we have we, we but, were talking before the pod started that we've rationalized. I thought you were talking about the PFA Players uh, Player mm-hmm. of the Year, which is usually the noticed player of the year award in England. 
and ended up being the football writers one, which is, you know, still good. But the football writers in England definitely have, you'd, you'd say, probably a significant bias to English captains on Premier League winning teams. So, yeah. Yeah. Especially when the guys, I think he's captain England in like a couple, you know, spots here and there. Uh, yeah, when Kane's you know, not playing. From, I think pretty exactly. sure Kane is England captain. Um, yes, I believe you're right. But I, I'm, I'm still fairly confident that De Bruyne's going to win players player of the year. I think he should. Uh, and speaking of other awards, Ederson wins Golden Glove. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne finishing with the most assists, with 20-plus assists. The only player to do that since uh, Terry Henry did it with Arsenal. And Jamie Vardy becoming the oldest Golden Boot winner in Premier League history, which I thought was pretty nice. Like, that's a, that's a pretty nice award for him to, like, put up on the mantle in terms of what he's done with between... Uh, during his time at Leicester, he scored a butt ton of goals after coming from, you know, non-league football, just a true, a true Premier League legend at this point. And I think this further cements it. I know Klopp won a, one of the manager of the year awards earlier today. So, I mean, it was, it was a fun final day of the Premier League season. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of weeks with it, with transfer rumors. I'm sure, you know, Manchester United, the, the rumors about Jaden Sancho are still plenty out there. I expect them to try to do something. Manchester City expected to drop a boatload of cash. I know Alex mentioned earlier that they could go out and sign Nathan Ake from Bournemouth. I think Bournemouth and uh, Norwich City are both going to get picked apart fairly even. Uh, fairly. Uh, you guys should forget about Saar and just bring back Harry Wilson. I'm still pretty high on him, even after Bournemouth season. He scored a bunch of great goals, hit a couple great free kicks. Yeah, he's and he's be a much cheaper uh, alternative to Saar and probably is good. I think that I think what I had read was before you know the pandemic happened, the plan was to sell him, to sell Gurich, to sell Shakiri, let Lovren go, maybe even sell Dan Lovren and just kind of use that to overhaul the squad. But now they're worried that they're not going to get the amount of money they would have wanted to. Like they let Lovren go for only 11 million pound to to Zenit and apparently there had been an offer from like Roma and or AC Milan last year for like close to 20 million and they held off on it and again with his contract like running as low as it is they kind of had to let him go so I don't really know exactly I know Rian Brewster played really well in the Swan for the Swansea down the stretch so I'm hopeful that he can make that that step he scored like almost a goal every other game for them yeah, he's been good on the stretch and and a lot of people have said that Swansea, he hasn't necessarily gotten a ton of good service, which, you know, with Trent and uh, with 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 Trent and Andy Robertson, you know, he's going to get the service. So I'm hopeful that they can fi- figure out a way for him to play. But yeah, I mean, Harry Wilson's a shout. I don't I just don't know the, the fact that Klopp like let him go as much as he has. I just don't know if he's ever going to like I see him as like almost a John Joe Shelby-esque player who maybe, you know, maybe he gets one season and then it's like if it doesn't hit, he's just going to go to like a Newcastle. And speaking of which, that's one to watch for to see if that uh, ownership takeover ever happens because the the rumors that are being thrown around about Newcastle who, again, credit Steve Bruce, finished finish safely with, you know, amidst... A, I, I, a lot of people thought they wouldn't do well after losing Rafa Benitez, but they, all of they us, finished safely. They were, I think, yeah. in all three of our bottom threes. And Steve Bruce made me eat my words uh, because I'm pretty sure I went on a spiel to start the season uh, that uh, football had passed Steve Bruce by and Newcastle were, they were somehow even better over the course of a Premier League season than they were under Benitez. And I don't think their squad was that much more uh, 
talented than it was under Benitez. Because even yeah. though they spent forty million on Joe Ellington, I'm pretty sure he only scored once or twice this whole season. So they somehow overcame yeah. that and fi- ended up with their best finish in years. Yeah, and they brought in. Uh, I do like that same Maxime Quick kid they brought in from France. Yeah, he's a I beautiful player. At, I think he needs he needs to figure out you know the actually finishing. But there's a player there who I think is definitely one to watch. And obviously we've seen Amarone transfer well from MLS and make an impact for Newcastle. So that's, uh, again, if they can stay healthy, make a couple additions, or if they get sold to this Saudi Arabian consortium, which is supposed to just drop cash everywhere. I'm just done with the, these rumors with uh, Newcastle. When it happens, let's just let's just treat it like a transfer, like a long, drawn-out transfer. I'm not going to talk about Havertz to Chelsea until it's 100% real. Let's not talk about Newcastle getting new owners, because... It's been thrown out there well, so like, many times over the last like three or four years alone since we started this pod that we've talked about it. Yeah, that like I, I just refuse to believe it anymore until it happens. Definitely, it's a. I was about to make the exact same comparison. Uh, yeah, and uh, FA Cup coming up this weekend. Champions League coming up. Might have to do a little Champions League futures projection. I've uh, I've thrown a few shekels down on Real Madrid at plus twenty seven hundred. I'm sweetening about that right now. At Pissarro at asmos ninety two at Ghost Gold Pod. By the way, um, I want to I want to throw it out there. I want us to keep going through these six weeks. I know there's obviously going to be Champions League for a few weeks there. There's going to be transfers to talk about because they'll all be jammed into this one shorter period. Uh, But I I think we can put together some stuff like, what if we do like an all-time Premier League draft where you have to draft a player by the season that you like them most in? So for me, I'd be like, wow, "Wow, do I want to draft the 2004-2005 Frank Lampard or the 2009-2010 Frank Lampard? Which one of those gods do I want to draft? And then you can't take another that player for any other year after that. So, you know, same goes out to Thierry Henry and Luis Suarez and Steven Gerrard and all of those players. Uh, that is an idea inspired by Bill Simmons in basketball, but I think it would work perfectly with a Premier League draft that if you, me, and Javier did it. I think could go uh, be pretty interesting. Probably just end up with all of us having Liverpool, Chelsea, and Arsenal players in our teams, but whatever. Yes, shocking. shocking Someone's going to miss out. (laughs) There's only going to be about, what, like 50 spots available. Uh, Someone's still going to miss out. I'll tell you right now, I refuse to draft any Manchester United player. So just uh, good to know for my draft strategy. I can save uh, drafting Cristiano Ronaldo until the very last round. (laughs) (laughs) Not true. Javier would take him. Yeah, he probably would. Um, yeah, so follow us along on social media at Andrew Pissarro at ASMOS92 at Ghost Pad at Javier Rev 9. Until next time. Fire.